Welcome to the Sensual Power Podcast. This is a podcast for women, AFAP people, and anyone looking to learn more about generational trauma, childhood trauma, narcissistic abuse, sacred sexuality, and healing any wounds around money, sex, relationships, self, and doing expansion work with that. Everything that I'm talking about is based on my own experiences of healing and the work that I do with my clients. Keep in mind, though, I am a cis white woman, so the views that I express do come with a sense of privilege, and if harm is done, I am always willing to repair harm, so please reach out if that happens. Otherwise, stay tuned and listen to your next episode right now. Welcome back to the Sensual Power Podcast. As always, I am your host, Valerie Schrader, and today we are going to dive in to Jeanette McCurdy's book, I'm Glad My Mom Died. If you have not been paying attention, Jeanette McCurdy, who was one of the stars of iCarly back in the day, a show my child loved, um, has recently come out with a book talking about her experiences of abuse with a narcissistic mom and growing up in the entertainment industry and some of the abuse she suffered there too but mostly about her mom. And then she was also this week on the Red Table Talk discussing this. They brought in a few people to also discuss things like body issues, enmeshment, uh, betrayal, blindness, all kinds of stuff that we see occurring in relationships with narcissistic moms. And it's a powerful episode. The book is amazing so far. I've been reading it. Um, and I also want to caution if you read these things and you have any experiences of abuse growing up with a mom, you make sure you're resourced before you read them because it's definitely going to hit on some things. Or if you're not really aware of some of the behaviors that your parent, your mom or matrilineal figures did that were abusive yet they didn't feel right. And the reason why I'm saying you're not aware of, because there's a lot of times that we grow up in these situations and because it's what we know, we don't realize there's something really wrong with the behaviors that our parents were exhibiting or doing. And we get into situations then where we hear about it from a more clinical perspective and it has, we have the oh shit moment of, oh shit, that was my childhood. And and everything starts to fall into place. I've definitely had that when I've started therapy myself um, of realizing like, oh, so that wasn't normal, right? And keep in mind, outside of my women's gender and sexuality background, I also have a psychology background, but I didn't focus on abnormal psych so much. I didn't focus on narcissistic abuse. And quite frankly, our understanding of that has grown in the last few years. So I want to dive into some of the particulars about this book that I find are very, very enlightening. Um, And how do we start working on these things? Because for a lot of us, this stuff, again, we know something is off, but like you don't know how off it is until somebody else is writing about it in a book or talking in in an episode or you're sitting in a coaching space with somebody like there are often times 
clients and I will be talking about something from their childhood and I'll explain what that is and they'll be like, oh, oh my God, right? But I want to get into a lot of the relationship dynamic and the body image issues that come up there because I've done a few episodes recently on body issues but I want to dive in a little bit more with this stuff, especially the relationship aspect. So something that Jeanette talks about in the book, and it was also brought up in the Red Table Talk, is the way that her mother enmeshed with her. And this is one of those behaviors that seems a bit off, but we don't realize how significant it is. And then what it does to us as we grow up and especially as we have relationships with other people. And for those of us that are AFAB, assigned female at birth or live with with an experience of being a woman, this can make it really challenging for our female friendships or our friendships with other women or AFAB people. And romantically, it can make it very difficult for partnership. So what is enmeshing? Because <laughs> this is something that you're not necessarily aware of unless you've worked with somebody like me or a psychologist or therapist that is very um, experienced in this type of abuse and generational trauma. So enmeshing is where you are essentially given no boundaries no separation from your parent. They are literally enmeshed in your life. It's what it, it is what it sounds like. And this goes beyond like having a normal close relationship with a parent or even like a really great close relationship with your parent or your family. We want to ideally have great relationships with our families, right? If we're talking about like What do I see being the ultimate goal for all of us in this world? If I was going to pick one goal, like got to center in on one thing, it would be for us to all have very healthy, supportive, loving relationships with our family from the time we were born on up, where we felt seen, we felt validated, we felt supported, and we always knew that there was somebody there to catch us when we fall. But at the same time, we were also always encouraged to be our authentic selves, that we were not only encouraged to do that, but we were taught to do that. We were taught to be healthy, happy, functioning, independent people that had a great support system behind them saying, yeah, we love you for you and we're going to back you up. Because what's the payoff of that, right? The payoff of that is when we go out into this world, we've been taught to have so much self-love, so much self-trust, so much self-worth that we are confident in going out and meeting people, making friends, developing healthy relationships, right? We have healthy standards for relationships and we set healthy boundaries, We're able to go after goals for our lives, our careers, ourselves, our finances, our relationships, our romantic partnerships, our familial partnerships, right? We're able to have really healthy goals for that and feel capable of achieving them. 
And it doesn't mean there's like never any moments of failure or whatever or any moments of struggle. It just means that your sense of self is so strong because you have been um, you've been surrounded by such a beautiful support system that you you can handle it, right? So when something doesn't work out, it doesn't make you collapse. It doesn't make you give up completely. It doesn't make you feel like it means something horrible about you. It doesn't make you feel as if there's something wrong with you. It just is a moment of like, that didn't work. It's really sad. And I'm going to process the sad. And the great thing is I've got a whole host of people here to lean into to process the sad or process the failure, right? And and I can get back up and keep going, right? So that would be like my ideal for everybody. If I could wave a wand, I would give us all that. Because think about the payoff of that. We'd be walking around as these well-adjusted people. And again, it doesn't mean that there wouldn't be disagreement. It doesn't mean that there wouldn't be strife or failure. It just means that we are able to take it on without any extra and additional trauma and stress and wounding, right? It is what it is separate from everything else. And that's great. That's, that's what we ideally want in a family relationship because we are communal creatures. We are communal at heart. This is why punishments such as isolation in prison systems are so extreme and seen on a psychological level as being torture. They're torture. This is why in relationships it is considered torture. And it's something that a lot of us don't understand how hard it is when, let's say, in a partnership, that partner, because they get upset with you, they immediately stop talking to you. And they'll do it for days sometimes or hours. And and there's a difference between that and being like, hey, I'm really upset right now. I don't want to say something that I know I'm going to regret. I need some space. And there's a definitive end date to that to come back together and talk. And that may be like tomorrow, right? That may may require some cooling off. I'm definitely a person that if I get to a certain state of anger, I need to calm down because otherwise I will react. I will feel very much caged in and I will react and I don't like to do that. Um, My joke is always, I got an Aries moon and your moon sign is supposed to be reminiscent of how you interact with other people, like how your real personality is. (laughs) You know, Aries are supposed to be very quick to temper and then they calm down. Um, So I always joke that that is why. But this is also just a part of my personality. And also because, again, based on my own personal experiences growing up with a narcissistic mother and being surrounded by abuse in her household, when I am angered, I feel very trapped in because when I was angered, when I was younger, I was not given space or the ability to process it. There was punishment for that. So I immediately go into a state of feeling a little bit trapped in and and very much like a feral animal almost. Um, you know, not, not that I'm lashing out physically or anything like that, but it, it just, it makes me 
feel like I need to do something to get out of there because it feels like a survival need at that point because I know the reaction is going to be bad or I did when I was younger. The reaction to my own anger and hurt was punishment and I felt trapped in when that would happen so now that is something that I understand about myself and it's something I still work on but that I've gotten to a place where the work that I have done has said okay I know this about myself if I am upset I need you to give me space and if you keep pushing me I'm going to feel more and more trapped in I'm going to feel more and more agitated and freaked out and it's going to trigger a lot of things in me and then I'm going to lash out with words that are very hurtful that are intentionally hurtful and I don't like that so I have thing but that's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about these you know moments where a partner or somebody will purposely give you silent treatment as a way to manipulate you into behaving the way that they want that is a whole different situation even if they're not saying the goal is to manipulate you into giving them what they want that's what the intention behind it is it is let me ice you out let me block you out and to the point that you feel so bad that you start questioning if this is your fault or it becomes unbearable to live that way and you reach out and back down first that is what the intent of the behavior is this is something that my ex-husband used to do and my ex-fiance um and my and and just like many narcissists my ex-fiance is considered a very wonderful charismatic person to most people and yet what I lived with was anytime we had a disagreement about something, I would be iced out for a week or more. There was actually a time where it was almost a month. It was horrible. And it really did a number on me. So we have behaviors like that that go on and it makes us feel awful. And again, this is why using things like solitary confinement in prison systems is considered torture because it is going against our natural instinct as people to be connected and I know some of you are like nope I hate being around people I I can't be bothered like yeah but even those of us that are like we we get really you know that are tend to lean more introverted we still need people in our life, right? Maybe we need that in small doses. Like, I love going to concerts. I love going to festivals and things like that. And I also know there are times when I need to take a break. I need to get away from the crowd because, again, it's just too much for me. So there's a difference between that. But we do need people in our lives. And in a healthy situation, we thrive in community. Now, community can also lead to bad things. This is what we see when people get into, you know, um, religious groups or whatever. If we grew up with certain doctrine where it was all about the church, right? I have so many clients that ha- are ex-Christian, ex-Catholic or whatever um, that are deconstructing that as well because a lot of what happened in their family also centered around a lot of religious abuse. And if you've ever been a person that has even just slightly questioned your religious upbringing or the church that you grew up in or whatever, and if it was like pretty harsh, you know what I'm talking about, right? 
don't you dare go against it. Horrible. And the same thing can happen in a family with a narcissistic parent or a very toxic and abusive parent. Um, but at, at base level, we need connection. We thrive within it. And when we don't grow up in healthy situations where we learn to connect in healthy ways, that becomes very difficult for us. Something that I struggled with for a long time and I still have to check myself on it and have a moment of like, wait, is this trauma or is this intuition? Is connecting with other people, like on a friendship situation, especially with other women or a fat people because of this enmeshment issue. <laughs> And what it does, especially when there's some abuse there. So as Jeanette McCurdy is talking about it in her book, uh, her mother was always around her. In fact, when Jeanette had tried to get her first apartment on her own, her mother who had battled cancer, breast cancer, um, when Jeanette, I think it was, if I'm remembering correctly, it was either before she was born or when she was really little. Um, and then it came back when Jeanette was heading into adulthood, like early adulthood. Her mother, and this is a tool that a lot of narcissistic mothers use in particular, is like when they're not doing well, they're sick. They actually get worse in their behavior. They don't get better. Like a lot of us hope like, oh, they'll be better. I had to have a whole conversation with myself of, okay, so my dad's in his 70s. My mom somewhere in the world is as well. What do I do? If I get that call someday of saying, hey, your mom is ill, she didn't have anybody else to take care of her, we need that for you. Like, I, I've already, because I'm in my 40s, I've had that conversation with myself and talked it through with my therapist. I'm like, how do I handle that when that comes up? Because I know with my dad what the answer already is. <laughs> I mean, my dad is going through cancer treatment right now. I am here for him. You know, I'm, I'm with him when he goes to his doctor's appointments. I'm checking in on him. I'm taking care of him. I'm helping out where he needs it because it's important to me. And the only thing he's really asked me to do is he needs emotional support right now. But I've taken on more things because I want to. Because we have a loving and healthy bond. Right? But with my mom, I had that moment of like, I can't subject myself to that. Everything that I know about narcissistic parents from a psychological perspective says that is a bad move. So I've already <laughs> prepared for what the, what the move is going to be. So if you're that person that's too have like had that moment of like, yeah, what the fuck do I do? There are ways to handle that. <laughs> There's tons of ways to handle that. This is something that if my clients are in that situation, they want to work through this. I do work it through with them of like, how do we make that decision? And then how do we get behind that decision? Because there's a lot of people that are going to be like, how can you do that? How can you not want to be there personally to take care? No, you don't understand. It's a bad situation all around. But anyway, going back to the book, Jeanette talks about like how her mother manipulated her in her way into living with her while she was going through treatment and it got to the point like she was sleeping in bed with Jeanette and it's something that she did when she was younger and a lot of my clients that grew up with these moms that were very enmeshed had behaviors where they were sleeping in bed with them and I know some people are like oh, that's not that bad like there's tons of families that do things like that 
And here's what I want to say to that. There's a difference between a healthy end of that and an unhealthy end. And here's where the, here's where the icky part of this is. Where it almost becomes as if you have been replaced as the romantic partner for your parent. And this is what it kind of shows up as. That is when it's a problem. So Jeanette talked about how her mom slept with her, right? And I've had clients that have had mothers that did the same, like up into their teens, where they they have a whole ass other parent in that household, but mom is choosing to be there because mom doesn't want to be separated from them. Another thing that Jeanette talked about in the book is that how her mom bathed her up until her preteen years. And I think even a little bit after, and she would do inspections of her body, which was essentially a sexual assault. Like her mother abused her. Um, but she was insistent on bathing Jeanette because she felt that Jeanette needed that. One, she would give the excuse of like, I used to be a hairdresser. You don't know how to wash your hair properly. And I'm like, okay, you can't teach your kid how to wash their hair because that's something that I taught my child how to do at an appropriate age, right? Um, but then she would literally do checks of her vulva and her butt and everything like that to make sure everything was quote unquote normal. Nothing, there were no icky spots, right? Which sends a whole fucked up message there. But again, that is a form of abuse. And there are parents that do things like that. They monitor. I have clients that have had moments where as they did hit into their teens and maybe started getting attracted to other people and dating or whatever, they shame was used as a tactic big time. That is when a lot of shame around sex and bodies hit of, you know, shaming for attraction, telling you, oh, they're only going to want you for one thing and, and cutting you down even more, judging you. I know so many people that have had horrific experiences of their parents shaming and judging and embarrassing them in front of other people as a way to control them. And a lot of that with the enmeshment becomes a issue of, again, mom does not want you paying attention to other people. Because what happens a lot of times in these relationships is when you're really little, mom starts off with everything and you're super close. But then as normal development happens, when we're starting to get our own identities, that doesn't end. And in fact, there's more push for control, right? There's more push for um, being involved, being enmeshed in your life. Something that I see a lot of these moms do or try to be like, again, essentially your partner and your best friend. So something that Angel and I had to have a talk about at one point of, because Angel was like, well, yeah, you're like my best friend. And I told her when she had said that to me, I was like, I don't want you to think of me that way. I was like, we have a very strong and close bond and I love that, but you do have a best friend and I need that to be your best friend. And the reason for that is I that's not an appropriate role for me to take on as your parent and they were totally cool with it um and, and they were like well yeah but like I know that but you're my bestie <laughs> right so I was like okay 
whatever term you want to use, as long as we understand the healthy boundary here. Right. And, and we do have healthy boundaries. Like, (laughs) um, when my child is dating somebody, they don't tell me about whatever girl they're dating or woman they're dating, um, until they want to, they don't talk to me about those things. And I got to admit, being somebody that is also a sex educator, that can be a little trying um, for me because it's, it's more about like, but like I'm literally educated on sex and relationships and things. Please come to me with advice and help because like from that perspective, I can be there. But like when we talked about it, they were like, hey, no, I, this is what I need is the boundary. And I was like, okay, I, I understand now what you're saying. It, and it was with the, I will come to you if I genuinely need things, but like, I listen to you. I listen to you when you write things, when you record things, when you do interviews and stuff. I listen to you when you like talk about your research and stuff. Like I do pay attention to what you're talking about. So like if I absolutely need to come to you with something, I will, but otherwise like let me have space. And so these are healthy boundaries, right? And a meshed parent is not going to do that. They are going to push for the information. They're going to push to be involved. Again, love spending time with my kid. Absolutely love it. It's weird to think, call them kid, but like still my kid. An adult kid, but still my kid, right? And that's the thing. It's like these parents, they don't want their child to grow up. They don't want their child to separate from them. And that is where the enmeshing comes. It's different from having just a really close and healthy bond. Because again, there is still room in that healthy bond to have your own life outside of them. Have your own thoughts, opinions, personality. And that's ideally what you want. Angel has different opinions than me. And we've had moments where we've had disagreements on things and I'll listen to their perspective and I don't try to change their mind. I may be like, be like, no, but this is what I think. Um, but I'll listen. And then sometimes I'll even change my perspective because they're learning too. They're in college, right? And that is a normal, healthy thing to happen. These kind of parents, though, they don't want that separation. They don't want you to separate your identity from them because again that means you are not reliant on them and they need you to be reliant on them they need for you to be attached as if you are almost a romantic partner and that's where the creepy part of it comes in and that's the part that's really hard to sit on with That's something that in some ways I understand from my own experience growing up, but like I also grew up with a lot of abuse and a lot of neglect. So there was that separation. So why does this affect our ability to have relationships when we have all this enmeshing? Well, one, the obvious is again, you haven't been given the permission to have relationships outside of this parent. But the other end of this can be because a lot of times there is a lot of control and abuse going on there. And keeping in mind, control is a form of abuse. Abuse doesn't always have to be physical or sexual violence, things like that. Or, you know, now we finally recognize that emotional and psychological abuse are real things. I 
I, I remember very distinctly when I was um, still in school and we were talking about finally seeing some legislation passed to rule that emotional abuse was still considered a form of domestic violence. That was something that I would have benefited from at a certain time in my life. Now we can go into the whole lack of actual support that is out there when you are somebody that has suffered at the hands of domestic violence, but that's another podcast for another day. But again, the control. There is literally not space for you to really connect with other people because they are always in your life. And a lot of times what you'll see these enmeshed parents do is when you do make friends or you do start dating somebody, they'll immediately start cutting those people down. And it's either real blatant or very passive aggressive. I see that often where it's like, well, you know, that, that friend of yours, she just seems pretty, pretty out of control to me, you know, and this may be a friend that like you, you've talked about going out dancing with and y'all had some shots or whatever, right? It'll get blown out of proportion and it's meant to put little ideas in your head of thinking, oh, this is not a good person for me to be around. I should trust my mother's advice, right? So you don't even have any clue of what your own instincts are. You're listening to theirs. So there's that. But then when we look at the abuse and we start to recognize it, well, for most of us that are women or AFAB living under that type of abuse from a person that society has taught us is supposed to be our number one protector, our number one person, right? We put moms on pedestals and that's something that even Jeanette talked about on the shows. We, we put moms on pedestals. And at the same time, there's a lot of um, expectations of mothers that are wildly inappropriate in this world. This is why we see so many moms struggling. And there's a lot of implications of white supremacy and patriarchy mixed in with that, right? Because historically, melanated women have always been working. And then when uh, white women were allowed into workforces, there was an expectation that we needed to do it all, much like the expectation put on them and it's not fair it's never been fair so we've got that mixed in this idea of your mother is your everything I remember a time where a friend of mine had posted about happy mother's day and how sad and upsetting it was to see there were people that would not spend mother's day with their mom and then she got very judgmental was like I don't care what your mom has done whatever, she's your mom, you should always be there for you. And there's something wrong with you if you don't do that. And it really upset me. And I actually said something that was like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Because for some of us, it is safer in multitudes of ways. It can be safer emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, financially. And so yes, sometimes sexually, to not have our mothers in our lives. And I was like, so sit back for a minute. And it kind of ended our friendship because she wasn't really willing to hear my perspective on it. And 
I was just tired of the judgment, but I, I got moments like that with people all the time. They're like, really? You haven't tried to reconnect with your mom? Like, oh my God, what's wrong with you? I'm like, you don't understand. <laughs> my mom is, <laughs> my mom is a horrible person. <laughs> my mom is highly toxic and abusive, not just to me, but she was to my child as well. We're not going there. Right. So we have this expectation in society and we learn it from the time we're little and it even starts with them because they teach us to see them as everything. And we're always taught to see them as everything. And the damage of that ends up being that what we we struggle in relationships with other women or AFAB people because that first woman in our life betrayed us because she hurt us. She invalidated us. Sometimes there were other forms of abuse going on. She made us feel small. She made us feel unworthy. She made us feel not good enough, right? We couldn't meet our standards or anything like that. And so it can really hinder our ability to have healthy relationships outside of that because again, we can't tell the difference between is our intuition telling us that this person might not be the best person for us in our life? Because a lot of times it's not just in romantic relationship that we attract people who are unhealthy for us, right? That mimic the relationship that we had with a parent unless we have done some work on ourselves to have better relationships. Or is it that our trauma is kicking in and we literally can't tell the difference between somebody that is good and somebody that is not good for us, right? Somebody that is healthy and somebody that is toxic. So we just see everybody is potentially toxic. And it's really hard. And it, it took me a long time to like even recognize that. And now it's at a place where like I have to really sit back and like pay attention to my body. Like I have to breathe into my body because one, somatics is my thing. But two, that's what I've learned to pay attention to. Like if certain parts of my body start getting really tense when I start thinking about somebody... I know that that is my trauma. If another part starts getting tense and like I just have a really icky feeling in like my lower belly womb space or whatever, I'm like, "Mm -mm, nope, that is not the person for me. But it took me a long time to recognize the distinctions. (laughs) And it may sound crazy and weird that like a specific part of my body can tell me, but it's because I've learned to understand where certain things show up for me. I associate a lot of trauma in my chest and in my heart space. So like I'll get a lot of anxiety feelings. I'll start to feel very tense there and a lot of like heart beating really fast. feel like almost like somebody's like squeezing around my heart, whatever. I know that is trauma response. But if I feel something like literally in the pit of my belly or in my womb space... Mm -mm, that is straight up intuition just tapping in and be like no no that is not the person for you or that is not the opportunity for you and when I get a sense of that I can now pause and then be like all right okay what do I how do I want to deal with this how do I want to proceed and go from there but that's something that took a long time and a lot of my own self-work to get more self-aware to do right And even Jeanette talks about in her book and even in the interview, she talked about how hard it was for her to have female friendships or to have women friends or, you know, AFAB people as friends. Because again, that first relationship 
was so toxic with a woman and so untrustworthy that it led her to believe that all of these relationships are untrustworthy. And again, there can also be some truth to that because if you've ever been in a situation where you were raised by a very toxic or narcissistic mother or father, um, that you ended up dating people that mimicked them. This is something super, super common where we end up perpetuating that type of relationship. We try to essentially replicate it to get the needs met that we didn't get in childhood because 75% of what we learn comes before the age of seven. Like what we learn about relationships, what we learn about life and our, our interaction with others in the world. It comes before the age of seven. So we have some trauma there or some unhealthy, you know, relationships in those early years. It can heavily affect what we, what we start attracting in as romantic partnerships and platonic partnerships later and even business partnerships. That was a huge thing for me too. And I'm very conscious of it. But it takes a lot of self-awareness and self-work to understand the difference between our trauma and our intuition and learning to be with our intuition and to trust it. And learning also that we are capable of having our own identity. We're capable of making decisions about who we interact with. We're capable of being loved for who we are, right? All of the good things. But that's very hard to do when we grow up with these parents that are extremely controlling and abusive in their control, right? So the other thing that I see often come up with this, and again, this was not unique to Jeanette either. And in fact, it was probably more so because Jeanette did grow up acting, um, being somebody that grew up is in performing arts, dance and music. I definitely dealt with that. And then obviously having a career as a performing artist for many years, that was really hard for me too. Um, there was a lot that I resonated with in her book of like being taught to calorie count, to, to manage your weight from a very young age. The first time I was given diet pills was at the age of 10. And that's something that you see a lot of these mothers do and it's really creepy because on one end, there's a lot of comparison to them and a lot of comparison to other people often, especially like other children. And there's a lot of criticism of our bodies. And this is something I've already talked about a lot, but like those two things where you'll see like these moms talk about like monitoring your weight or critiquing your weight, critiquing your body, comparing your body to theirs. There's another end of that that ends up happening is where there's a lot of jealousy. So like I find for a lot of my clients too, of when they hit their teens, these moms, when, you know, if they were um, straight, when boys were being attracted to them, um, <clears throat> When boys were attracted to them, they would have a moment where the mom would get really, really jealous of it. 
and either flirt and I've had many clients that have have not cut off their narcissistic mom until adulthood right until we started working together and they would notice like their mom would start flirting with their partner or spouse right um but we're getting very jealous and cutting them down in front of anybody that was attracted to them or even with friends you know again and this all goes into the needing to have control needing to be attached where they would criticize you in front of other people as a way to make you look bad so that the other people would leave and not want to or see them as better because of course they always need to be better right this is something these parents are really great at it's a lot and again i think the book is absolutely amazing the episode was amazing so check them out but do so if it's only if you're resourced and the last thing i want to say to this is any of this is resonating with you any of it has please Please, if you have not already started to work on that or you have done the work on it, reach out, book a call, sign up for my newsletter to find out about more of like working with me and stuff like that. Find somebody else if you want somebody in person that can do this work. Because unfortunately, the only way to really work through it is to work through it. Like we have to start deconstructing what we learned and to build up safety. And for me, one of the things that I really benefited from of hiring somebody to work with myself was, again, because a lot of these type of mesh relationships or these abusive relationships make it very difficult for us to have healthy relationships. My first healthy relationship, like, and not to say that I didn't have healthy relationships, but my first really healthy, like, very, very solid relationship with somebody in a, you know, that wasn't a romantic relationship, but just a good relationship and not even a friendship was my therapist. And I'm not saying that, like, like me and my therapist are besties or have a friendship outside of that. But me learning to trust my therapist, to talk to her about these things, to work with her on these things, it, it gave me an example of like, see, you can trust somebody because she was on my side. She was validating my experiences and she didn't do what I see a lot of people do where it was like, well, let's work on forgiving her. Like my therapist has never asked me to do that. I've had clients that'll ask me myself, like, can you help me work on forgiving her for these things? Because a lot of us have been taught that we need to forgive. And the truth of the matter is you don't need to fucking forgive anybody. If it doesn't feel good to you to forgive, you don't have to do it. And I'm not talking about like small missteps where a relationship can be repaired, right? If it's desired. I'm talking about the bigger things. Like these type of parents, you don't have to forgive them. Just like you don't have to forgive somebody that abused you or hurt you or a partner that was hurtful or abusive toward you. You don't have to do that. That is only if and when you want to. But the first thing you need to work on is one, healing, getting into a good state within yourself and two, forgiving yourself. That is the only real person you need to forgive is yourself because a lot of us, when we recognize this behavior and when we recognize that we've taken on a lot of self 
self-harm and self-harm doesn't just look like physical harm but like the negative self-talk the denying ourselves happiness the putting ourselves into relationships that we maybe had an inkling of like that is not a person that I should be any way connected to or in a romantic setting with and like we ignored our instincts on that the moments like I had to forgive myself for getting into those types of relationships or like the business relationships that I knew going in I knew they were fucking not the right people I knew that they were toxic as hell they were energy suckers and I did it anyway because I wanted to help and I wanted to be a good person And I didn't want to leave them hanging because I was left hanging growing up, right? That's not a good enough reason (laughs) to help somebody out, especially when you know your instincts are telling you this is not a good person. Don't fuck with them. We have to forgive ourselves for those things. Like that's the only real forgiveness you need. If you want to work on forgiveness at some point, sure, I'll help you do that. But like, it's not a priority for me because you don't need to do it. And that's really shocking for a lot of people. But honestly, that's the only way forward with this is to release the idea that you need to give forgiveness because you don't owe it. It is not necessary for your life to be better. And all that that does for many of us is put on there that like, There's something wrong with us if we don't give that. There's something wrong with us if we withhold that and that we are still messed up. It it denies a truth that actually this person hurt me. It, It still downplays it. It still denies it. So that was something for me that was really great with my own therapist. And that's something that I really try to make sure I emphasize to my own clients is that If you want to work on that at some point, we can talk about that when that bridge comes. But right now, I am worried about you. I am concerned about you and getting you to where you need to be. And again, that's what helped me learn to start feeling safe trusting. Because I had built up a good rapport with my therapist to where I felt safe. And then my coach, where again, it was the same thing. I've never been told that I have to do something. Raluca has never once said to me, I need to be in a position where I forgive and I, I release and I, you know, just as she's never told me like any of the shadowy parts of me. She's like, you don't need to get rid of them. They're a part of you. We just need to get in a good, healthy relationship with them. Same thing I tell my clients is no part of you is bad or wrong. We just have to get into a healthy relationship with them and put them in a position that's a little bit safer and healthier for us to thrive. So long story short with that again, get help to process some of this stuff, to work through it, because it's also going to give you a teammate so that you don't feel like you're tackling this all by yourself because it's a lot. It's a lot to process And you need a teammate in your corner, especially if you still have a relationship with that parent and you're looking at potentially ending said relationship. Like you need that person there that's going to be in your corner because let me tell you, having cut off the relationship myself, it is not easy at first. It is not easy. It gets so much easier as time goes on. I did no contact and it took probably a solid... 10 years before that really sunk in with her. Now, keep in mind, my mom is pretty extreme 
and also some of the aspects of that situation involved her attempting to reach me through filing for visitation rights with my kid because my mom is that extreme so that's that's the 10 year mark is pretty extreme most people I know don't even have that go on for a full year where it's it's a little rough where there's continued attempts to get back in your life um my mom just likes to go for the gold with that one so it's it's hard and this is where having support can make this a lot easier. You got somebody to hold the weight for you. You got somebody to learn to feel trust with so that the other areas of your life and the other people in your life, you can start to build up more trust with them or build trust for the first time. I even have clients that are married, have spouses or long-term partners that they don't fully trust yet. And, they, and it's more so they don't trust that partner to see the full authentic them and to see all of their parts so we work on that first and it makes it feel more possible to do that with them. And so again, you can book a call with me. If you're looking for somebody to hire to get support from this from, I highly recommend that you find somebody that has experience with trauma and experience with these types of parents because just going to somebody that does average, you know, your general therapy or work may not be the best fit. Not saying they're bad, but like these are specializations that people get more education on to to do a different level of support with. So get that. If this episode lit up anything for you or you have thoughts and feelings, <laughs> this brought up anything you'd like to share, please leave comments. Let me know. Leave a review if you liked it, if it resonated. And also share it with somebody that you think could use it and definitely check out Jeanette's book. It's amazing. Um, and again, I'm here if you need me.